0: up in my headphones Charles turning it
1: up hello 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 everybody one and all welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is Charles and with me today as always is my lifelong friend and co-host Dylan I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, Dylan, because today oh. we revisit one of our favorite authors in fantasy. One we have dedicated mm. countless episodes to, all these different character studies, all these different variations on who would win, and all these different theory episodes, and all these book discussion episodes and that must be Joe
0: Abercrombie. Who else, right? Who yeah. else? Love Joe Abercrombie's work. Uh, most people probably realize that about us by now. <laughs> yeah. And super excited to get into The Heroes because Charles, this is your first read of The Heroes. I've been waiting yes, for a very long time to finally never have this talked conversation about the with heroes you. before. Yes. This is like the excitement is palpable
1: because you Yes. We love to talk, obviously. And a lot of these, you know, every mm-hmm. Joe Bukrami book up till now, we have discussed in depth for years since recording these episodes. Yes. And now here we are, new ground. So excited <laughs> to get into it. This is all part of our read through of the entire First Law universe, working our way through yep. the Age of Madness in, in anticipation of the Wisdom of Crowds coming out in September of mm-hmm. this year. And we are in the standalones right now and this is the second of three standalones and it's it's such a fascinating book the heroes and and we'll go through it you know through, yeah. through the whole plot of it and, and and get more in in depth about it but i just have to say at the top that this okay. book is just fascinating it's a fascinating mm. book and you know he lives up joe abercrombie lives up to his name in this one for sure but also just his name being lord joe abercrombie or lord grimdark both or Both, both? <laughs> and you know it's very much in his voice and his style but yeah the way that this book uh treats the world building and like a standalone versus a trilogy it's fascinating stuff and i i just love i never saw abercrombie as a world builder because i've only read three of the books right Hmm. a trilogy so i saw it as okay that's the story and now i'm seeing the story get bigger and bigger and and change and actually age and turn into something else and Mm. it's just so fascinating to watch that progression and and yeah, I, I it's like you said at the beginning like way back when you pitched the series, Dylan like show is growing as an author and growing in yeah. his voice as he writes through these. And I think this is the first time I've really started to see evidence in this transition in his voice.
0: Yeah, that's really well said, Charles. I I think for me, as someone who's read through all of Joe Abercrombie's published works so far, I, I feel that it's such a critical part of how I think about the Joe Abercrombie experience is <laughs> yes. his, his growth as an author and the fact that his, uh, this series has been continuing and just fleshing out the, not just the world, but also the characters and their relationships. And then even as time passes, uh, you know, uh, like w- what happens when characters we know age and move on? And I don't, I'm uh, so it's such a, it's awesome to see you getting to experience that and i think a lot of folks who've only read the original first law trilogy or uh, stuff like that uh, something that they stand to gain a lot from like you're gaining right now charles is like seeing where joe abercrombie takes his characters and his world as it continues to move on and age and time passes but yes. I, I, let me give my spoiler warning oh, so i can yes so we can get, yes. get into what we're actually talking let's about let's do it um so Uh, In this book discussion episode, we'll be having a no-holds-barred conversation about the heroes, as the heroes is in the First Law universe uh, and follows events that have happened in previous books, despite being a standalone. We will also not hold back in terms of spoilers for the original First Law trilogy, Mm -hmm. Uh, so... oh. That would be the blade itself before they're hanged. Last argument of kings. We won't hold back anything from best served cold, though I don't imagine we'll get into much about that. We might but get still, into we won't some. hold back we might from get spoilers. Into some. sure, a little bit. Uh, yeah, with the one character in particular, yes. and then uh, from there, we also, of course, will not hold back spoilers from the heroes the book that we're discussing here so if you haven't read those books yet and you don't want to have anything spoiled then now is a good time to maybe check out those books because they're all amazing but also to turn this down in your headphones so you don't get anything spoiled for you that you don't want to hear
1: well said dylan and we were talking about characters changing and getting older throughout Mm -hmm. these works and that brings me right to like Black Dow, Lord Marshall Croy, yes. the Dog Man—they're yeah. all here, but they're in <laughs> in different roles than they were in the First Law trilogy, and we hadn't really seen them in Best Serve Cold. So to come back to them now is super fascinating. And Black Dow fascinates me so much. And, oh, I love. And it. He's yeah. such a great character. And in this, it's it's funny to see a man who in the First Law trilogy was pretty much like like always on the frontier always on the run like rugged camping lifestyle now burdened with responsibility and age and at the highest level as a king of the north it's it's so funny to watch him kind of tolerate politics and tolerate bureaucracy in some way and try and make compromises and things like this when he had so much freedom when he was following three trees around doing whatever he wanted and now he's got the chain and it and and knowing that that's where he came from and reading about him now having that context is super fascinating and almost kind of funny and endearing in a way
0: (laughs) in a way i mean it's interesting with black Dow. the way i read it this this time around is like blacked out is losing it. So we, he's just, he's, he's just having these moments of exploding on people and yelling and like actually seeming really insecure. And it's in a Mm. blacked out way, a blacked out way of being insecure is like reminding everyone how he's the hardest name in the North and such a strong fighter and all these kind of things. But he's just having these outbursts constantly Mm. where he's, freaking out and we even get later i mean uh, you know we're, we're going no holds barred here so i know you want to get through the plot but like these moments of vulnerability from black dow where yes. he'll be like asking it was like talking to crawl and Crawl's like i'm trying to get out of this biz like i'm gonna go be a carpenter and black <laughs> dow is like it was pots for me Like I I was going to I had soft hands (laughs) and I yeah, it's like a could you imagine me, soft hands, that whole thing. And it's just these moments where it's so Joe Abercrombie, where it's like even the hardest name in arguably, besides maybe the Bloody Nine or whatever, but Black Dow was always the person that right. throughout the First Law trilogy, and even in this in this book, it's like, there's no one worse a person than Black Dow. He's so exactly. hard and dark yeah. and all these things, and even he has so much insecurity, especially when he gets put in that position of power, and I wish... Part of the shame is that we never get a blacked out point of view, but we get kind of uh, close uh. to it when Kernedon Craw gets uh, to be his second, and we get to see some of these vulnerabilities and, from Dow. But Dow's such an incredible character. You're right. so right, Charles. To,
1: it see, yeah, it seems very deliberate that Joe Abercrombie did not give us a POV yeah. into Black Dow. And you have to, like, I asked myself, why are we not getting a Black Dow POV? Why are we getting a Craw POV? And I think mm-hmm. the whole point is we're supposed to be kind of not sure what's going on in Black Dow's head. Yeah. I think that uncertainty and, like, being caught by surprise by this it was pottery for me. We could have read this whole thing of, like, uh, things were much simpler when I was a child making pottery versus, like, having this whole yeah. thing where he's the hardest <laughs> man in the north and he's challenging people. And then he's like, it was pottery. And you're like, what? This guy was, like, holding th- that for this, this his whole life. <laughs> he well never said. shared that with anybody. It, it, it's It's... It's a calculated move, and I've already Dylan. We've already talked about this, but one of the things I want to have a full discussion on is Joe Abercrombie's use of POV, uh, just across mm-hmm. all of the first law. Because uh, you're saying a separate I episode in the world at some point. Of, yeah, separate episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just brilliant. Yeah, okay, and we'll do that. I, I think a lot of that would be referenced here, and. Yes, it's the characters mm-hmm. he chooses to give POVs and then I mean obviously we're going to talk about the chapter casualties everyone that's read the heroes knows what we're talking yeah. about there where it's deliberate use of POV of a bunch of different characters but also his restraint in who he doesn't give POVs to and when he doesn't that's give true. them like he also doesn't give a POV to Shivers and Shivers was a character we inti- well, yeah. intimately got not in this book right right of but this yes. is someone we intimately got to know in Best Serve Cold and now we're seeing how other people see him, and he's like, this hard guy, like dead and like dead, glazed over eyes, like cold will do anything. <laughs> like. And we know that he's <laughs> struggled quite a bit. So it's just so fascinating to see when we get these characters and when we don't get them. And Black Dow is one of my favorites, because like you said, he's the hardest guy there is. The things he's done is unspeakable, especially in the first law yeah. trilogy. And the things he would say were like horrifying. But, you know, at the end of the first law, he was the one that was like, Logan, you're a worse man than me, because at least I'm honest about how bad I am. And then he continues to have that, like, really, like, deep perspective on things. It's really interesting. So Mm -hmm. yeah, throughout the series, Black Dow, truly incredible. And... Not a guy I would want to be in the same room with ever, but a guy I really enjoy (laughs) reading about. (laughs) Um. (laughs) That's many Joe Abercrombie characters. Yes. Probably most of them. I don't know if you remember from the end of our Best Served Cold episode, but I said, Mm. Joe Abercrombie writes a book and calls it The Heroes. Yes. And I was like, there's no way this man is talking about like a knight in shining armor hero. So it was no surprise to me. I almost like, I was like chuckling when I found out in the beginning that the heroes is a location. <laughs> it is a place. It's these stones that are mm-hmm. scattered around this hill. And it's, it's, um, it's such a Joe Abercrombie move. I loved it. It's one of these ideas that, um, yeah, here's the heroes for you. It, it It's this location, uh, And it's all these people trying to defend it over three days. And it's obviously it's a book about heroism as well. And almost like one of the quotes, like one of the things we wrote down was the grimly ironic deconstruction of heroes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And Charles, it's definitely a place and that's definitely very abercrombie and of course deliberate and purposeful and you're picking up all that i also want to say and as you're noting with the grimly ironic deconstruction thing and grimly ironic is very abercrombie as well Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's a it's a theme and actually in the back of my copy of best served cold Mm -hmm. there's this interview with joe abercrombie and they said what can you tell us about your next novel meaning the heroes yeah And Abercrombie said, it's called The Heroes and is a story of one battle for control of the North, most of the book taking place in the same location and over the course of three days. It follows six characters as they variously take part in the fighting or try Mm -hmm. to avoid it as their paths cross and interweave throughout the course of the battle. Uh, He goes through some of the characters uh, and he says, The Heroes is a fantasy war story that attempts to investigate the whole notion of heroism says, my five-second pitch is, Lord of the Rings meets a bridge too far. But I want to focus on that sentence. The Heroes is a fantasy war story that attempts to investigate the whole notion of heroism. And I think that's kind of uh, what you see throughout this book is all these characters who are all the heroes of their own story. Or grappling with the idea that they don't think they are meeting the qualities of what the hero of their own story would actually do, almost because they have this idea in their heads of the knight in shining armor that you were referencing right. as what a storybook hero is supposed to be mm-hmm. and none of them are quite living up to that even when they do really great feats exactly in their heads they aren't anything like what a hero is supposed to be and there's some decent because part of when you were saying this like well the heroes like eh, it's uh, like i have a feeling abercrombie's gonna come at this in a unique way and he does but I, i guess part of it is knowing like it's not that like no one ever does good things. Not that you're implying that. No. It's that, like, we all are trying our best, but telling ourselves a story oh, yeah. about every character, yeah, every
1: POV character in this book is an exploration on a certain aspect of heroism. And that just is another layer to this story right there's almost the futility of it by naming this place where all this seemingly senseless waste of violence is taking Mm -hmm. place and naming that the heroes and then there's the characters that are involved in it and how heroism affects them and their moments of heroism or their moments of like of cowardice or or whatever and we Mm -hmm. can get into all these characters but it's it's obviously more than, oh, it's called The Heroes and I named it after a place. haha. Ha. It's like, no, it actually is an introspective on heroism in a right. war. And I like to think that Best serve Cold is almost this idea of futility of revenge. And then we have The Heroes, which is almost like this, maybe not futility of war, but it, it's about war. And a lot of Abercrombie's violence and like, like horrifying moments have this element of like I don't know if wastefulness is the right word to them, but it almost seems kind of senseless and wasteful in like the actions that happen. And I think the idea of like, it's a battle over a tiny little hill and so many people die and you end up pretty much where you were. Just a lot more people are dead. And it's like, wow, that's, (laughs) that's really intense. And it explores that in a bunch of different perspectives. And uh, to me, it's, I love how contained this book is in terms of its setting and its plot and then yeah. how and time and time and how like few days. depth it is in terms of its introspection and its themes. So to me that's that's a really a difficult thing to do, especially in fantasy where mm-hmm. we're used to everything just being big, big, big. And to really focus in, I mean, he has six POV characters, it's not small by any, and he has way more than that, if you count, like the casualties at Cap Chapter and all that. So it's, it's big where it counts. And his economy of POVs versus setting versus time, it, it
0: comes together so well. Well said, Charles. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll be able to get into a lot more about the specific character and stuff. I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to get into the plot here, Charles. I see this epic episode note plot summary you have, right? Right, right. I'm, yeah, I'm. So I, I'm going to talk more. I just don't want to hold you back from. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting
1: I appreciate your, your that, here, and I just so, there's so much to talk about here. Let's. Let's get to some of these other moments here. And that's like the introduction of uh, Calder, uh, which uh, Prince oh, Calder, yes. Bethod's younger son. Uh, this is an interesting POV for sure, because in the first law, we only know him from the outside. And he was the one that just ruthlessly had um, the weakest, fully the weakest. Decapitated, and yes. he's the son of Bethad, so he's he's not looked at in a favorable light, right? It's it's a very um, unsympathetic view, but now in the heroes, we're getting a very sympathetic portrayal of Colder because we're getting to know his story, right? And he's aging. He's he has a wife, and she's pregnant, and he's
0: mm-hmm. and he cares about her. He
1: cares about her. He's um, genuinely cares about her, and yeah. He's, he's trying to hold on to the family that he has. And then also he's kind of being, um, you know, f- fed to the wolves by Black Dow. Dau. Black Dow's trying to, you know, get him killed by putting him in battle is, is the vibe that you're getting. Uh, and that's kind of what Calder is suspecting. And to me, like, we were talking about the use of POV. And in this case, to see mm-hmm. Calder portrayed sympathetically was was really fascinating to me.
0: It's interesting Yeah, it's an interesting thought, Charles. I was wondering what you'd think of Calder, because it it might not surprise folks that I am a huge Calder fan, because he's all... (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah i thought you might be thinking that while reading him because yeah. he's all smirks and charisma and uh, telling people exactly what he needs to tell to kind of set the roots to get what he wants out of the world and all this kind of stuff and I always love those roguish type characters he's not a classic rogue in the sense of you know, a lot of classic rogues have these kind of like dagger in the night assassin type things going for them and Calder's kind of a self-proclaimed coward he has some brave moments but right. uh, he's like god i just love his whole persona and you describe it as a sympathetic portrayal and i think it is because we see him grappling with trying to be a good person mm-hmm. but the whole time he he really beats himself up over the Forley the weakest situation yeah uh, he thinks he's you. like it, yeah he thinks he's irredeemable for it and so does the dog man as we get we get that moment later where the dog man yeah. like shoots a snot rocket oh, into oh yeah the, the hand dog man hates like, him and we hated him too uh, when we, for good what, reason in the in yeah. um in the
1: blade itself yeah
0: yeah uh for sure and i think that it's just yeah it's very interesting and very abercrombie to be like yeah calder's kind of the He's just one of those lovable jerks. <laughs> and I, I love, I love Calder. He's. So- we'll get more into like the stuff he does and how how fun a lot of it is. But I also appreciate that underlying all the smirks is this genuine care for his for his wife and mm. uh, she's pregnant with their child and it all means so much to him. And he feels things really deeply. Yeah, He just tells himself that he does it.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's a, it's he's such a great character. Yeah. One of my favorite point of views in all of Abercrombie's work.
1: I would agree. I think of all of the POVs in this book, The Heroes, his story arc is my favorite. I think it's the most, nice. like, poetic. I think it's the most, mm-hmm. like, storybook. Like, man, he delivers at the end, you know? I, I just, yeah. there was something about, I was like, man, Abercrombie can really deliver on that classic, <laughs> like, like story and on a nice theme, mm-hmm. like, when he wants to. Like, he's ca- he's more yeah. than capable of it. And this very clever ending for Calder where he finds mm-hmm. a way to... Uh, save his brother by making him king and then acting through him is a moment yeah. that I really enjoy because I was like, Oh, is Abercrombie gonna make him kill his own brother? Like, I, I don't know how I feel uh, about that. And he
0: would, you know, yeah, he, he would he's, if he he's was more best. than capable of it. Yes. exactly. I'm saying Abercrombie, Yeah, Abercrombie's um, more than capable of <laughs> Abercrombie's yes. capable of pulling a move like that, yes. but he did not Yeah, he, 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 he went didn't. for redemption for Calder, which, which is. Yeah. I thought Awesome. Was it's fantastic. Of, yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's it's what put colder at the top of the POV characters for this book for me. Um yeah, he was mm. conniving the whole time and he may have spectacularly failed in it. It was really only saved by <laughs> Shivers at the end there and Bias yeah. too. But and Bias. Yeah, like, he may have yeah. uh, at the end not had much consequence, but he was able to do this one little thing and, and save his brother which um, mm. which which speaks a lot. And we've talked about Abercrombie's hopefulness, despite being Lord Grimdark and these ideas of doing good when you can. Yes. And the way, uh, the way Calder's the, the story ends in this is some of the most hopeful uh, writing I've ever read from Abercrombie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that's part of why I've been, I've been talking a lot about the narrative, like Joe Abercrombie is is moving away from the strict grimdark label with his later works is if he was all out grimdark, then Calder would do the worst thing he possibly could have done. And this character who's been telling himself that he's irredeemable would prove to himself. He truly is irredeemable or whatever, but he kind of ends it with that moment of like, okay, I can't take away that I killed Forley the weakest, but I can do better this time. And it's like we always heard. We talked some in the original first law discussions way back at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, where it was like there's that quote where Logan was like, "Doing better next time." That's what life is, <laughs> and we kind of uh, we gave Logan some crap about like, "When is next time ever actually going to come, Logan?" Yeah, and I feel like Calder, who isn't going around telling people doing better next time, blah blah, blah he's just like actually learning from his mistakes and trying to do better next time and and he really did do it by the end here and I'm I'm proud of Calder. Yeah. I really relate. Yeah, I'm proud it's of Calder. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't done anything as bad as Calder uh, did, but <laughs> I definitely feel that like uh, this kind of uh, idea of a Calder type character who uh, is looking to You know, be a good person when he can be, and sometimes, yeah, someone like that can tell themselves stories about how they're not doing that, even when they're trying. And I think that's so much of what happens throughout the heroes with, with most of these characters Mm -hmm. to some degree. I yeah, so no, it's good for Calder. Good for Calder,
1: and it brings up you know, at a certain point in the story, after you know calder goes out into the world <laughs> to fight in the heroes we have another character from first law that shows up in this that i was so happy to see because i think he's like the embodiment of first law and i just after after finishing last argument of kings you just wanted to know more i was like yeah. you need i need more now that we know what's going on and that is okay. Baez. bias bias is back and yeah. now that we know exactly who he is, it recontextualizes what he's doing in this book, right? And he lives up to it. He he has, you know, he's here to help Lord Marshal Croy. And, mm. and he's got his, you know, his, his right-hand man. And they're basically there to test what is cannons but it was funny to hear him like hmm, what should we call it fire engines no <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's these moments of humor that are in this book that almost kind of break the fourth wall a little bit which is kind of funny uh so and this idea of fire engines is one of those moments and the invention of the sandwich is another one but um <laughs> it, it, i love seeing bias big moments big moments and um this
0: this moment of bias yeah go ahead yeah, so I wrote down some quotes because once a bias interaction started <laughs> happening, I was like, yep, this is all going down. Like these <laughs> these notes have. So uh, I, I wrote down some quotes. Let's hear it. Uh, and yeah, they're exchanges. One is the dog man uh, and him, and they start talking about Logan Ninefingers, which is so cool to see that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, uh, Bias, like, oh, he's a good man type thing. And then uh, Dogman says, a man, anyway. Some good and some bad in him, like most. As for much, miss depends on who you ask, don't it? And Bias says, true. You have to be realistic about these things. <laughs> yeah. And that's a beautiful little exchange with those two. And. It's fun because you get this kind of like, where's the dog man I at around Logan after we talked about how he got left mm-hmm. in the at the end of the first law trilogy with this like, what now? Like, what am I supposed to think about this guy? And uh, then the an even more interesting exchange, I think, was the one with Gorst. Yes. Where Gorst says,
1: uh,
0: I was fairly beaten talking about the uh, the bout with Gisal <laughs> yeah. yeah. at the end of the contest, where uh, obviously we all know Bias cheated yeah. on Jizal's behalf, but no one, no one got caught because right. it was magic. So Gor says I was fairly beaten, and Bias says you were beaten anyway, which is all that really counts, eh? Yeah. And there's just, <laughs> there's just something beautiful. <laughs> so Gorst, we'll talk more about Gorst, but obviously he's on this, just like this. Uh, arc of thinking he's the worst person to ever exist, beating himself up constantly. He just thinks of himself as this murderer, and he's just stuck in the past and all this kind of stuff. And there, Gorst is in dire, dire straits. Horrible mental state. Oh, yeah. And there's something kind of like, I don't, for some reason, I almost want to say beautiful but that's not the right word it's like it's very abercrombie in where you want to say Abercr- beautiful but it's so not, yes, like, I don't like twi- yeah i twistedly beautiful yes so right exactly. like twistedly poetic in an abercrombie oh, yeah. way where it's like we sit in gorst's head with the ramifications of Baez's actions toward Gorst and what that did to his life. Mm. Gorst's entire life was sent spiraling. It would have been so much better if Baez didn't use him as a tiny pawn <laughs> in his scheme. And not only does do we have to sit in that, we have to sit with Baez, who's just this big bully stomping on anthills (laughs) being like oh well like whatever like you lost like taking little shots at gorse and gorse doesn't even know what's going on it's like what is this exchange bias is such a bully he's such a bully big time and yeah he ruined gorse's life he
1: ruined gorse's life and this opens the door to talking about gorse this is another example of like it, it, it ties in best of Cold in an interesting way, and it also, mm, it also yeah. gives more perspective to what happened in the first law. So it's an interesting piece that Abercrombie decided to put at the front of the story here. And this idea of heroism, right? Where, we, we again, we go back to this theme of being heroic, where Gorst, in his actions on the battlefield... He's a hero, right, because he fought back the Mm. line and he, you know, turned the charge back. And really all he was doing was basically trying to like suicide through combat. And he also just loves to kill people (laughs) is like another thing you've got. So these are not things that you would give to a hero. And the fact that under the guise of war, by doing these things, he's able to you know, become a hero. And he kind of muses on that. He's like, if I just did this anywhere else, I would be sentenced to die a a criminal. But because I'm doing it in wartime, I'm a hero. And and he's the first one to be cynical about it, too. So this idea of heroism, it's like only a a maniac would be be capable of doing these things of like charging in and, and killing a bunch of people. Right. It's like no mentally stable person w- would do those things. And that's kind of exemplified through Gorse. It's like, what is heroism really? You have to be kind of unhinged to, to do some of these acts of heroism in
0: wartime. Yeah. I have a quote from Gorst that backs it up that Let's I think it. he says to Jalen Horn, which is Heroes are quickly, he says in that high voice, if you yeah. listen to that wonderful Stephen Pacey yes. au- audiobook narrate, but I'm going to just reading it in my voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pacey's commitment in that audiobook is incredible. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah he's gorse says heroes are quickly fashioned from the basis materials quickly fashioned and quickly replaced if i qualify they are worthless (laughs) and yes it's like because gorse sees what goes on inside his head and everyone keeps telling him you're a hero look at all these things you did and he's like you don't want any part of what's going on in here if this is what a hero is that's horrible right. that you do not want to be one right <laughs> yeah. and
1: it's further exemplified by like what he says and then his inner monologue which is almost yeah. like clock to like But he'll be talking to like Fenry, for example, and he'll be like, very good lady. And then inside, he's like, why don't you give me a smooch? (laughs) This is much more crass stuff than that. I think he says (laughs) some, yeah, I think he says some worse (laughs) things that you were avoiding uh, to keep our clean rating. Yeah. So it's, yeah. This is, you know, not someone that exemplifies a hero, but everyone likes to think of him that way. And it's super interesting to get that juxtaposition of what other people think of him versus be through his actions and then the just unhealthy mental state he was in to commit those actions it, it, it is super fascinating and, and very Abercrombiean.
0: Yeah. Well said, Charles. I'm sure we'll get even more gorse talk as we it's
1: so as we much going. gorse talk, but um, there, there's more that happens in the story. It's three days. There's surprise attacks, counterattacks, peace talks we get all of this but the story is almost like a backdrop to some of these characters and i agree I, I'm, I'm just trying to get to my next character here because there, there's oh, okay. so many good ones and one that i think we need to talk about uh, maybe a little more quickly is uh in these moments of battle throughout the first and second day we get a lot of this character corporal Tunney um corporal tunny <laughs> I, he gets some of the best a man cook. of
0: your own heart <laughs> he, 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 i feel like you'd love
1: corporal tunny so, <laughs> did i'm you? a fan i'm a fan um i loved his little quips and the way his philosophy on war you know i said at the beginning i feel like this book is about the futility of war and I think, you know, it's it's Corporal Tunney's view on war that I just find absolutely delightful. There's one quote that I pulled that I just love, and he goes, Wars are hard enough work without people fighting in the middle of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so Tunny. Yeah. I love Tunney. I just, yeah, he's got these amazing witticisms. Yeah. He's got this, like, incredible... I don't know. In some ways, he's just wiser than anyone else in this story, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, he's the only one who sees war for how pointless it is and sees soldiering for how it is like, it makes no sense and how all these mess ups and stuff come from people who are already not necessarily the most competent, aren't in their positions necessarily because they're good at it, are in their positions for weird reasons, yeah. like Jalen Horm who's a general because he was a drinking buddy with Jezal yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's seeing all of this for what it is and he's so disillusioned with it. And then, yeah, we also get these weird moments with him where he's like, gets moments of courage and bravery, whatever the original Tony <laughs> that was in him that wanted well, to sign yeah. up has. He's, I don't know, I love- i love tunny as a character he's a little more um i don't know how to say it like he's more muted than some of these other characters because he doesn't get these big moments right but what i like again this we had
1: we were talking about the juxtaposition of Gorst, where it's like his internal struggles and his external acts of heroism corporal Mm. tunny has his own where he's highly capable very smart and very talented but he uses all of his you know advantages to avoid responsibility at all costs like he's very (laughs) clever and he does that to remain at the corporal level to uh, you know be in the back or it's like no one wants him leading any charges and he's like great because now I get to like sit back here and and relax you know and he's kind of teaching his wisdoms to his soldiers he's like guys you don't want to be doing that they're just going to (laughs) get you killed. And it's like, uh-oh, the general's here. Let's get out of here before the, this comes back on us. There's no reason a general yes. would come in here unless they were going to have us do something bad, you know? It's kind of like, um, I'm sure if Corporal Tunney saw uh, Gandalf enter the gates, he'd be like, oh no, we gotta go now. <laughs> if Gandalf's yeah. here, you know we're in trouble. <laughs> so he, he has those moments of like ingenuity and cleverness and like you said, Dylan, he has a very strong understanding of how the world works and he chooses to use that understanding to live a life of obscurity and free of conflict it it almost makes
0: too much sense (laughs) well that's the thing because it's like he exemplifies so much of uh, how i imagine abercrombie thinks of if you had to be in a war like the only thing that would be makes sense to do is to do it if you actually saw it for what it is is to do it the way corporal tani does it Mm -hmm. is like minimize your chance of getting killed minimize your chance of the people around you getting killed Mm -hmm. and just try to figure out how to scrape out an existence Mm -hmm. that is at least like somewhat enjoyable and sustains you mm-hmm. without dying. Yeah, and he does and, try and keep
1: his his crew alive. You know, he, he's got oh, a bunch for sure. of, like, rookies basically, you know, very he cares about Yoke. Yeah, he does. And he's trying to teach them, like, here's how you <laughs> survive a
0: war. Step one, yes, never fight. <laughs> you know? And there's this moment where he recounts all the Lord Marshals he's lived through. Yeah. And there's so many of them. And we get a West shout we out do. in there. We do. And it's like, all these people, so it's like, Someone like West, called West, (laughs) Heroes All, exactly, (laughs) who like, West lived fast. Mm. West crammed a lot of ambition and a lot of success into his short life, right? For, and and we saw that in the first log trilogy. We just recently did our West character profile, we sure did. and we were talking about how he takes initiative, how he uh, chases what he wants, and Goodness. he oftentimes yes. gets it. First and then the he breach, died. Really yeah, <laughs> first, yeah, f- through he was first through the breach, and he was also <laughs> out of there and died yeah. first. You know, I don't have a fun pun or anything here, but <laughs> I'm just saying that someone like that who was very ambitious chased it. Then he he died. Mm-hmm. Before him, we had it. Uh, um, jeez, was it? It was, it was Lord Burr. M- Marshall Burr, and Burr had probably had so much stress in his life that he had indigestion Deadless, to the point of death. <laughs> exactly. And, so it's like yeah. these people who live fast, they die. Fast too, and Tony has just been bouncing a little bit up, a little bit down, trying to stay at Corporal as much as possible, and he survived them all, so it's hard to really... It's hard to really uh, get down on Tony's way of doing things. He's, <laughs> he's lasting longer than all these Lord Norsels. right And I think the fact that he's
1: more of a fringe POV character and not one of the main ones only further exemplifies like, who he is, right? He's not, <laughs> yes. he's not doing anything exciting because he's actively avoiding any kind of notoriety <laughs> because he doesn't want targets on his back. He doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't want the risk. You know, it's not worth it. He's found the balance of risk. Really and reward that could just have him live a, a a peaceful life and he's living it and he's passing it down and i just thought in a book that's the whole story is a three-day battle on a hill someone who's actively anti you know combat it, it's a really interesting perspective uh in in the in this crazy book on war and, and his view of heroes is like what like you can live a better life by avoiding anything heroic heroic stuff is mm. dangerous <laughs> and uh, you don't need it uh, i just love that line yeah w- wars are hard enough work without people fighting in the middle of them yeah it's just, like <laughs> amazing so yeah. that's uh that's Tony for you um <laughs> great character another character that we may as well get through um uh, another one that i think is like a fringe character uh, but still very good is beck Now, Beck is um, another, we talk about this, this, you know, thesis on heroism. Beck is the one that you you see so many times in fantasy books. Young, humble beginnings had this legendary father who was taken from him. He's hungry for war. Mm -hmm. He gets his big chance. He goes out. He gets, he leaves his mother behind. He's like, I have to do this. I have to chase the glory. You know, he's been anticipating this his whole life. And... He quickly finds out as soon as the blood is shed that he is a coward.
0: (laughs) Or here's what I think Charles is like, he's a person. Yes. And because he talks to, he talks to like Craw about this. And he's like, oh yeah, I pissed myself and then I took credit kind of accidentally for all the killing that this other person did. And then I killed someone on my side. And Crawl, who's been in the business for a long time, is kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Like, my... that's happened to all of us. Like it's so true. And, and... yeah, I'll, I'll toss it to you yeah, in a sec, Joss. Sure, you got but, it. But, um, yeah. And I... F- so I think that the difference between Beck and these people who stick around is that the people who stick around are just, like, less aware of how messed up war is and what it's doing to them and they put up with that stuff over and over again and eventually they get desensitized to it Mm. but i think beck's experience is one that probably based on like craw's reaction is one that a lot of people have. They just don't wise up the way that Beck did when Beck decides, like, oh, this isn't like this isn't for me. It's like, well, it's probably not for anyone to go around killing people, but other people tell themselves the story that it is. They want heroics. They want all this stuff. And Beck was like, I'm gonna go back home to a place where I'm loved and know what to do and like carve out a life that makes sense. Yeah, I'm so going back to my mother. I don't think he's a witch. coward. I think he's yeah. Oh I don't think no! He's a coward. I think he's a person. Right, yeah, right. It wasn't know? cowardice; like, in he's the having a normal reaction. And
1: one of the yeah. one of my most favorite scenes in this whole book is what you were mentioning—the conversation between Craw and Beck at the end. Yeah, because Beck's story—he kind of falls into heroism unwittingly, right? He he was like, "Oh, the stories aren't true." Like, you know, I you know, I kind of just th- not even trying, just. Through accident, I became this big hero. And Crow's like, I've heard that story a thousand times. He's like, yeah. he's like, that's everyone's story, really. It's mm-hmm. you just kind of fall into these moments, and it's a, one of these additional, you know, uh, thesi, <laughs> theses is on heroism. I don't know what the plural <laughs> thesis is. Uh, is it just thesis? Another thesis on heroism. I- Feces. Feces. Thank you. I thought, I'm not crazy about that word. <laughs> the, grad, the grad
0: school. Yeah, it does sound like it, it does sound like theses, which I, I, you can choose what to do with your editing skills with the fact I said that, but it's fine. yes, theses, it's a very Charles.
1: Feces, yes. Yeah, so my grad school thank background, you, yeah. thank you. Yes,
0: uh,
1: I didn't. Ha- I only had one thesis at a time, but, but getting my bachelor's in business school—that's so. fair. <laughs> yeah,
0: even with the even with those two degrees, Charles. yes,
1: yes, one at a time. So, thank you for bringing that in. We have theses, one of the many theses on heroism. Oh, Okay. Yeah, That we get with with Beck is like even the great stories, there's a person behind them that thinks it's a farce. You know, it's like some, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a farce that it happens on a fluke. The person doesn't live up to the name. Right. And, you know, he gets his name Red Beck, and it's it's almost an irony because he's um, so um, and he just does not. He just can't sit with this waste of human life that he's been experiencing in combat. And when he has right. these moments with Kra and he finally confesses and Craw doesn't even bat an eye, he's like, yeah, because Beck thinks it's like, oh, if anyone found out, they'd put me in jail and it would be the end. And Craw's like, dude, it's war. That stuff happens all the time. You're just lucky right. enough to have survived it. And then Beck just takes that in and is like, I'm out of here. And his ending is he embraces his mom. And he goes back home. And that's not typically the story that yeah. we get from a hero. And Beck is is Beck a hero. I'm not sure. But he like he is one of the few characters in the first law world that is able to walk away from violence and scores. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like the exact opposite of Logan, right? He's like <laughs> Logan would right. never go back to his home and be like, oh. I'm just going to put that, like, that was not fun.
0: Not for me. Like, I'm here now. Logan killed his dad. So maybe uh, (laughs) that helps Beck learn some lessons. Exactly. So uh,
1: it's like Beck is one of the few people who's able to look at this scene around him and change his story. And it was a wholesome thing to see. And I really did uh, appreciate that about Beck's storyline. And I love that craw Beck conversation at the end. Really, really well done. Yeah, I do
0: too. Yeah, because it's like, I like to think that if I were in this kind of world, that I would wise up enough to be like Beck and just be like, "Let's live a simple life uh, with minimal violence." It's, I like you said, Charles. He's one of the few characters in Jarber Karmi's world to actually listen to all this advice that all the old hands are giving of like, "Hey, step away from this. Go be happy. Right? Go carve out a real life of." not killing people. And Beck is like, "Yeah, I will do that." And good for you, Beck. Right. Right. And
1: it's it's I, I there's another like nice little detail of that giant legendary sword and Beck is like, "It's the legendary sword." Like what is it supposed to be passed down and cross like bury it. <laughs> it's, it's not that important. It never did anything good for anybody and who cares about its reputation? It's a thing we can just get
0: rid of. And I just, you know, yeah, all those. You're talking about Wearing of Bly's father of swords. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk a little about Wearing at some point? Y- let's uh, do it. Weirin yeah. of Bly. No, Weirin-, Weirin of Bly is such a great character. I think it- it's amazing how Abercrombie is able to just build this Weirin of Bly, uh like persona up so well. He's such a character. Stephen Pacey kind of uses almost a Casca-like sounding voice. I don't know if you noticed that. For it, yeah, a it was, of kind, of, it was like, kind of just a, a little, more yeah.
1: rough around the edges. But yeah, for sure,
0: right. And weird is such a sure. definitely some bravado, and he does this whole like <laughs> this whole thing <laughs> where he's just this amazing legendary swordsman. But he's a little. Is unhinged. It's yeah. <laughs> a little unhinged, mm. and he. But he'll also follow the very most of the time reasonable and level-headed Kerndon Craw because Weirin is convinced, based on some like witch's prophecy, <laughs> that Kerndon is the person who's going to show him his <laughs> destiny. I've been seeing the and time like, and
1: the, and the manner right. of my death, and it is not here.
0: <laughs> yes, and that one led him awry. Yes, because. He's One like, "Oh, of my I should have worn moments. armor." <laughs> yeah, yes, you should have Weirin. <laughs> like he has this amazing fight, and this is so Abercrombie is that fight between Weirin and Gorst, yes. where it's like legendary fight. You've been building toward this in some ways, like the pretty much the best fighter on the Union side against the best fighter on the North. You build been building toward this, and. Abercrombie has the writing ability, the writing chops, of course, to deliver a ridiculously satisfying fight where one of them wins or something like that. And it's just clear who the better fighter was. But because he's Joe Abercrombie, (laughs) he chooses to make it be like just a spear out of nowhere, takes Weir in with his bare chest because he's so convinced of this prophecy that he's not going to die in this battle, and Gorst is, like, disappointed, all, you know, right. he, he got past it, but disappointed that he doesn't even get to really finish his fight and see who the better fighter was. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, again, driving home that point of how, like, just because it's war or whatever, you don't get these dramatic, amazing, heroic moments. They're not guaranteed. You get pointless things and people dying when they didn't expect to and not in ways that are... As dramatic and yeah, we'll say heroic again, right. and as they could be in stories, and it's right. it's such a beautifully Abercromb- Abercrombie twisted moment. And there. it's interesting to see a character who's bought into the
1: idea that they are a hero, and they have mm. some of these legendary things about yeah. them, and they're like the crazy person. who who dies a very preventable death (laughs) so it's like it's another one of those bitter ironies that abercrombie can masterfully weave and you know he's also the inventor of the sandwich which i don't think people give him enough Mm. credit for that he was putting cheese. Did, between- did he call
0: it like a cheese trap?
1: Yeah, a cheese what, trap. What, was that what he? Called? I'm trying to remember. And, and then, it, <laughs> it and like, then everyone else is like, you know, sliced bread. <laughs> it's like you take the bread <laughs> and you take the cheese and you eat them. Like, what are you talking about combining them? So yeah, yeah, it's one of those uh, those funny those funny moments. But yeah, he, a cheese trap. I think that is what he was calling it. Is that what something like <laughs> that yeah, sounds right? What it was,
0: but, yeah. <laughs>
1: oh so there you go that's another one of the many heroes in this book um another i i think this is the last pov character that we have yet to talk we didn't about. talk about i think you're looking at finry right yes. we didn't
0: really talk about craw in in detail yet no we haven't we? talked about
1: craw we've talked about him more than we've talked about finry but we haven't really yes. given craw his his due either um I mean, Craw which is. Which do to go for first? Craw is like the. I feel like if there was going to be a main character of this book, he gets a lot of screen time. Um, yeah. He's compared to Three Trees a lot, <laughs> which is always yes. a good thing, I guess. Like Three Trees, through and through, was a pretty like decent guy, and everyone liked him, and he died a noble death. Like he and. Yeah. One of the things that I'm getting a sense that you know as we finish the heroes is like times are changing right we've got cannons now and it, it's battles are changing and a character like three trees existed when like logan was talking to spirits and breathing fire you know like those mm. times are fading not fast but they're fading and craw's yeah. kind of on the fringe of that and he's older right retiring too so he's the old hat at this as well so it's interesting to see how abercrombie's world is progressing and leaving some of these characters almost kind of behind and and craw's feels like one of those ones who's getting a little bit left behind he's not sure what to do he's able to drop some really good wisdoms to people
0: like beck and yes and he makes the troops feel better, but he there's a great conversation with Shivers that I'll I'll read at. When oh
1: yeah, when Shivers right. is a whole other character we can talk about. But yeah, Cross yeah. he's often giving speeches to people and making them feel better, but he's giving speeches that he doesn't personally believe in. He's like, "Oh, that eulogy was crap and didn't. I really this guy wasn't that great." But everyone everyone's like, "You did a great job, Colter," uh, yeah. I mean, "You did a great job, Cross, Straight Edge, all through and through, like Three Trees," yeah. and he's like. Whatever. Oh
0: my God. So we have this awesome conversation between Shivers and Craw. And it starts with kind of this oh, like, how do you be a good person? And we know that Shivers really wants to be a good person from his best serve cold days when he tried really hard at the beginning of best serve cold uh, and didn't work out for him. But he's talking to Craw. So like, how do you do the good man thing? And he's like, why well, I tried it, couldn't make it root, couldn't see the profit in it. And Craw responds with, there's your problem. Anything good I've done, and the dead know there ain't much, I've done for its own sake. Gotta do it because you want to. And Shiver says, I'm gonna blank something out for the clean podcast here, <laughs> but Shiver says, it ain't no kind of sacrifice if you want to do it though, is it? How does doing what you want make you an effing hero? That's just what I do. And Cross says, I haven't got the answers. Wish I did. And then we get Shivers. It says Shivers turned the ring on his little finger, thoughtfully round and round. And we know mm. that is Benna's ring. And I was talking about this in the Best Served Cold episode about how the ring is kind of this like metaphor for this like vengeance and seeking blood and all this kind of stuff. And we then we've got Shivers turning on his hand here. Uh, and it says yeah redstone glistening and shiver says guess it's just about getting through each day cross says those are the times shiver says you think other times will be any different and cross says we can hope <laughs> and it's such a wise i just love cross wisdom because he's seen so much and he's just been grinding to try to do good things and he still sees all the ways he messes up And he deals with people being like, how do you do the good person thing? He's like, I don't know. (laughs) I just try really hard. And then everyone tells me I'm doing well, but I feel like I'm just doing crappy. All I do is hope and try. Mm -hmm. And Shivers, you know, he's trying to take it in. And uh, he does get a moment there at the end where, you know, Black Dow, he's got all these issues and stuff like that. And... Uh, Maybe it came a little bit from a place for Shivers of not wanting to be a dog anymore and being betrayed and knowing that maybe uh, he'll get treated better by Calder. But he also kills the person who a lot of people would say is the worst person in the entire North (laughs) and puts a person who's been preaching for peace in charge. So we'll see. I mean, it's still Shivers killing a person, uh, but... Yeah, and uh,
1: cheating in a contest and and all these other things, but like you know whatever. yeah that's the least of it <laughs> maybe
0: he's learned yeah and that's kind of the crawl thing too is like i do things all the time that get people killed and everyone keeps telling me i'm a good person what is going yeah. on here yeah so yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: he's got a bit of an imposter syndrome thing going on which again is this part of this duality of hero- heroism right where it's like mm-hmm. oh everyone really likes me and thinks i'm great and compares me to three trees calls me a straight edge but I lead men to die all the time. I failed almost everyone that was part of my original band, you know, including like the most heroic hero of the North is dead. So it's, and I give crap eulogies. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) it's, it's, um, to him, it's nothing. And to everyone else, it's, it's a big deal. So it's again, this idea of, um, of heroism and you bring up such a great, A great point with with shivers and the ring and like I was thinking when I was reading this that there's so many moments where people like you can read the standalones and get ninety percent of it and you can give it a try and I kind of said when we read best of cold like yeah you can and. and and I'm kind of putting, stepping back on that a little bit because it's like you should definitely read these in publication order. Like there's no reason to just mm. read Best of Cold or read The Heroes to me. Now, like especially, I buy that I believe that even more after reading The Heroes because I'm like you have to have read the other books to understand what's going on here. The amount of perspective that you get from reading the other books when you go into The Heroes is insane blacked out bias shivers right. gorst like more so than best of cold to, to be fair but even best of cold with with shivers and just all it's like to see what to see what Jabbercrombie is doing and he's doing more and more of it in the heroes we get so many more character visits and this world is changing and and the way that unsympathetic characters are sympathetic now and vice versa it's 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 the real experience there's like another experience going on beyond the entertaining yeah. story that we're getting that it's understated but it's super like complex and fascinating from like a world-building
0: perspective so well said. and
1: it's just it's an experience you cannot sell yourself short on i, I think
0: well yeah I, if people want to read the standalones and they want to go right into it then you know more power to read what them you but, I've to always, read, but i'll never yeah, recommend i've it. always felt <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. <spiritual. laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I've always felt that there are these. There's a whole another level to the experience, like you're discussing, and that happens from just this moment. Like that shivers is one of the <laughs> best characters for it because you know I won't I won't say beyond this or anything like that. But he's been in every book uh, uh, since he first appeared. You know, he's in Best Serve Gold, and then he was he's in this one, and he's been like growing and changing and learning and unlearning and all this stuff the whole time. And yeah, moment as subtle as like, he's turning a ring. And if you're reading the heroes as just a standalone, the turning of the ring means absolutely nothing to you. There's no way it could mean anything to you. Beyond the fact like that he's gesture. like
1: contemplating yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's like, oh, sure. and if serve
0: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> And if you've read *Best Serve Cold* and you are still thinking about Benna Mercato's ring, then it means a whole nother and level. And even of just something the question, like, gesture. "How are you a
1: better man?" Like Chipper's yes. asking that. Yes, you having read *Best Serve Cold*, you're like, "Oh my gosh, I know why he's asking that because that was his whole purpose in *Best Serve mm-hmm. Cold* that he abandoned completely, and he sees it in Craw, and there's almost like this glimmer." of a past version of shivers coming through in these moments, right? It's this level of characterization Mm -hmm. that goes beyond the dialogue. And it, and it's, it's so fascinating. And it's a huge experience in this book. And you see more and more of it in the heroes than we did in, in Besser of cold. And it's super fascinating. Like I haven't considered Abercrombie as like creating this vast world and universe, but he, he's up there with, any other big epic fantasy author, and it's just a different way of doing I, it with through yeah. restraint and through POVs and through time and change. It's like wow, you, time and change. This are so bold things to do. Change. Yeah, <laughs> like his characters I change. His world is changing fast. Yes,
0: yeah. You keep going to world building, and I. I see what you're getting at, especially, you know, like cannons and sandwiches are being invented. <laughs> Industrialization
1: like, is happening or sure. beginning to happen.
0: <laughs> it is happening, but uh, and credit to crying for that, but it all is just a stage for him to tell stories about these characters and their evolution. Oh, and that's, yeah. So really what it is is, yeah, uh, characters changing and the world changes around them, but characters uh, are are the thing that gets a spotlight shine on them. And, and I'll say, Charles, uh, one character that we get to see influenced and changed uh, as, you know, from the First Law Trilogy and how they show up now is Croy. Is mm. Croy, who is someone who was like a bickering bozo in the First Law Trilogy that West had to deal with. And now he's this, like, Lord Marshal who has seen the person he used to bicker with because he got that very interesting moment at the end of the first law trilogy Mm -hmm. where polder who is bickered with this whole time dies Mm -hmm. and cory's kind of like wait if i don't have polder to rage against what am i Mm -hmm. and you can see that he's taken all this time to reflect and be like i was such a bozo in my youth i'm mm-hmm. gonna do better now and he enters this book as this like hardened strong leader mm-hmm. and I, so i'm really impressed by that and i'm also i really enjoy a i finry is uh, is actually one of my favorite point of views in uh, this book i think mm-hmm. that's probably gonna be a whole nother uh like i don't know i we'll see if people agree with me or not um but uh, yeah, that uh, i mean Hopefully they agree that she's one of my favorites because that's. <laughs> not, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll see if other people like her that much. But yeah, her relationship with Croy and how Croy has become this like strong father figure, despite being a bozo earlier on, and we'll, we'll get into Finry more. But right, and I mean, he basically, Croy. in his own way, stood up to
1: bias, which yes. is one oh, of yes. the most. Um, admirable things you can do in the first law universe is like somehow defy bias and walk away with your life and your dignity intact (laughs) like only a few people are able to do that and it seems like we don't really get to see the fallout, but it seems like Calder got away with it a little bit too. But it was a close I mean, one. Croy.
0: Oh, you're saying Calder? Yeah, yeah Calder like because
1: you... he made his his brother king, right? Instead of right. killing him like Baez wanted. But yeah. what's really interesting is that Croy was able to, like try and a- avoid this horrible violence and then resign. And then Baez was like, yeah, you'd have to resign because you're not doing what I tell you to. <laughs> it's it, yeah. it's a moment of endearment for Croy, I think. And to think of him as like one of those bureaucratic squabbly guys who held up the charge to the north because he couldn't get over his petty um, bickerings, uh what he, he, like you said the growth is is fantastic and it's not even a pov character or ever a main right. character or anything it's a character that's just existed in this world for so ooh, for so long that it's you're uh, all excited yeah i know i knocked over stuff on my desk um in my excitement for croy which i never thought i was gonna have if you had told me i had excitement no. for croy after you know last <laughs> argument of kings i'd be like uh okay what about all these other characters <laughs> yeah so yes yeah, it's, it's it's true it's yeah it's great
0: yeah and you get to see how he helped shape uh, his daughter who's like she's an interesting characters young clever ambitious but privileged mm-hmm. uh, a woman growing up on uh, with this military stuff around her and she's just kind of she's a woman in a world where it's still i mean it's extremely patriarchal so basically she's like the best i can hope for is to find a heroic seeming dude who i can use my wits to try to elevate and she really sets to it and she's one of those characters charles that i appreciate her she initiative and she's very proactive and she also is very clever she even catches the eye of bias for yes. being an ambitious clever person and, and you, you know, know she's Baez- clever yes. when she
1: sees bias and is like that guy's no good. And every character that's ever been able to see through Baez has always been a bit more uh, uh, clever, certainly. So it's interesting to see. Here's another character who um, sees right through him and his his facade. So you got to give her points for that. There's also this idea of... It's kind of an interesting idea about traditional heroism and the fact that she's trying to advance... Her husband, who's pretty much a buffoon, but yeah. just he was born into, into... Nice guy. Nice guy, but no ambition and doesn't know how to play the game, doesn't know how to politic, and he's just kind of... Content in his station, and his he's like, oh, I have to be dutiful to my superior, and all this. It's like, no, you got to go, like yeah. to, above his head, talk to this person, and do all these things. And Baez is like, that's kind of what I do through like Jezal, and it's what Calder does <laughs> through his brother. It, it's like yes. we we let the. St- the title and the station go to someone else so that we
0: can do our own thing, you know, and, and not have the target on our back. Beautifully stated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Beautifully stated. And the only person who might have a chance at stating it even better than you, Charles, would be Bias <laughs> himself. Oh, let's hear Jennifer it. Crowley, who says, heroes have their uses. But someone has to point them the right way mm-hmm. and clean up afterwards. They always raise a cheer from the public, but they leave a hell of a mess. And he says that to Finry. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Bias has this moment with Finry. is like, let me take you under my wing. Like, I can see that you're kind of like <laughs> me, which is kind of insulting. But it also, at Finry, I also think part of what I, I like about her is like, she feels so bad about. She actually has a very heroic moment where she stands up to Black Dow. She saves all these people, and she still feels terrible about the one person she left behind to a really right. horrible fate. Mm. So she's a she has a lot more care in her heart than Bias does. I know that's setting the bar pretty low if we're <laughs> yeah. going Bias, but but I really do like Finry because yeah, we get this external venomously ambitious type thing, and she tells herself a story about that. And then meanwhile, when push comes to shove, she tries to save as many people as she possibly can. So, big fan of Finry, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm very, I enjoy her as a character. It's kind of that, like, she gives some, like, arty vibes, but at least we get a, like, a point of view, like... Uh, yeah. and she's in a more um yeah it's like clever uh, woman who's in a trying to find her way in a man's world but she has a lot yeah, more privilege yeah and she's able to than, like go party. against yeah. bias without being like yes. stupid
1: fool <laughs> she's able to be like oh well you she know i don't really trust you yeah she's she's able to um you know speak the language exactly right and i love um that quote that you dropped cuz it's just a, yet another one of the endless different like Uh, theses on heroism it's this idea like heroes have uses this idea that like you know, heroes. We see heroes as like the center of the story, yeah. the big deal. But it's like eh, they they can be useful as tools, you know. But you you <laughs> yeah. gotta be able to work around them. And bringing Baez and Finnery together is such an interesting choice by Joe Abercrombie, <laughs> and it and it hits that home so well. Like who yes. else but the master puppeteer himself, who does this, who operates exactly. like this all the time through Valen and Bach, through Glockta, through everybody. And to, to have Fenry kind of learn these lessons under this guise of the heroes and using heroes mm-hmm. to obtain power is, is super fascinating. And it's well in, in Fenry's case, it's with her own husband and the Brock family as well, which is mm. an interesting little piece of world building there, too. We remember the Brocks from when Jazal was elected king. Brock was going to be the king. And yes. uh, until Baez... Weave this heroic story together. Just all oh, the hero, he like <laughs> t- he's qu- squashed the rebellion and like saved this bridge and did the, went on this epic quest and and he's the yes. he's like the bastard son of the king. Let's all vote for him. And so uh, Brock was had to flee in disgrace. And so it's really interesting to see the name mm-hmm. Brock pop back up and and yeah. somehow able to turn that into some notoriety.
0: Well said as always charles yes <laughs> i i love it it's the kind of thing and then you see bias come back around and be like now the brocks have use for me in this way so i can elevate you and you can be right like lord governor of angland if i'm is that accurate where they end up angland or um, um something or, like that yeah whatever lord gov yeah they get to be let's see if i can um
1: Lord Governor of England. yes, I, I confirm. Okay, confirmed. yeah, there we you go. You got it, man, so, you got it.
0: Right, it's like, so we get to see how manipulative Baez is and how much of an opportunist he is where he's like, oh, yeah, of course I will destroy the Brock family when need be. But then as soon as I note someone like Finry, who can speak my language and uh, can put the hero in their place while controlling them. It's basically, he's like, oh, this is a great opportunity to create a, like, Finry in the Glockta role, mm-hmm. and Brock in the jazal role, just on a mini level. So he jumps at it. That's right. how much of an, and he's just going and, around doing that. he also, that
1: you know, Finry also gets a little bit of, you know, character development, but in the wrong way where she kind of has to bend the knee a little bit to Baez, even though she doesn't like him. Bias Baez is like, Hey, I can give this to you or I can give this to someone else. I don't really care. Mm. Do you want it or not? Like you've kind of entertained me during these past three days, but you know, I'm biased. So I don't, I, I will forget you exist tomorrow. <laughs> yes. uh, do you want this or not? And she, you know, he's kind of threatening when he says all these things as he is, you know, and she kind of bends the knee a little bit and, placates him a bit to to get this role and yeah. he's like it's not so bad i mean come on like i have a lot to offer here i <laughs> guess i'm a bit threatening right now but you have so much to gain and so she agrees to those terms so you know getting in bed with bias is kind of a dangerous game but uh you know she's up for it so it's interesting in that way too
0: yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i mean it she gets what she wanted and this is in reality, or the reality of Joe Abercrombie's world. This is what getting power looks like. Everybody, everybody has to serve someone, mm-hmm. and yeah, we get these. We get people like Monza who are very much resisting it, but right. Yeah, it's very hard to escape. We get the people like Beck and, and who just don't even bother playing. <laughs> right, and you can make the case that's way better. But if Finry wants, she wants a stuff. So she, and she's that's part of what i like about her character she's ambitious and she knows hey yeah this is risky but let's go for it and yeah it's a it's an interesting moment i yeah i don't want to say too too much more uh, for Mm. you know yeah but um, implications Uh, what's to come who knows (laughs) who knows it could be anything it could be nothing but
1: yeah. I mean, I have yes, started I reading it, Red Country, and it's my first read through, and I haven't read anything beyond. So um, I have a little glimpse into the future of potential spoilers, but not much. And, and Dylan, yeah. you've read everything, so you know it all at this point.
0: Um, I'm so, just trying to zip my mouth over here. So I hear you. <laughs> one more thing on Finry, the Gorston and Finry. Oh yeah, where she just situation. Him. Yeah. <laughs> at the she end. does skewer him. I kind of, I don't know how most people read this thing if they're like rooting for Gorst and Finry to get together or what. I obviously was like, like Finry, this is the correct approach. To take yeah, here. I wasn't hoping like this guy together. Yeah. Like, I was hoping Gorst is, would get over it. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that was a good hope. Um, yeah.
1: But something else yeah. happened instead. <laughs> I well, guess he yeah. did get over it, but not the way, not through personal growth. <laughs>
0: He put himself out there, and Finry did exactly what is, like, the sensible, rational thing to do, which is, like, I am currently married to a guy who is going to be the Lord Governor of England. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be Lord Governess and really run it. Like, please go away. You're a murderer. And, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, it was a little... It wasn't that much nicer than that, honestly. Right. But she, yeah, she did what makes sense for her. It's kind of this, like, we're very used to these arcs of, like, if a character's in love with another character, then they're going to get together. Mm-hmm. Gorst mm-hmm. had so much crap going on for him that it's probably hard. I don't know. I don't know if any people, like, root for that relationship to work out or what. I'm sure right. some people do. And, and it's that... normally That's the way to read... That's a normal way to read someone being in love with someone is that you're in their point of view to, like, want them to fall in love. But mm-hmm. I just love this, like... I don't think it's an intentional subversion of that necessarily, but just this, like, honest moment of Finry being like, no, why would I want to be with you? Right. And And I appreciate that.
1: Me too. And it immediately follows the scene where, of course, he's been agonizing over the fact that he was cheated out of his position, right? And he gets the position (laughs) back. And he doesn't have it for... an hour before he meets with Finry and just is uh, like, you've got your position back, but you're a horrible person and you're a joke. Like, I used to think you were uh, like a noble guy, but y- your intentions are so clear now and it's transparent empathetic. and pathetic. Yeah. And she leaves and he's like, "Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to feel anymore. And that's how his plot basically ends.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. And we also get the reveal with Gorst that like he's like I was a scapegoat this whole time, and it's like you did mess up your job. Like you were you, high. Like you you like yeah. you messed up. <laughs> yeah, you were supposed to protect the king and you didn't. So yeah, it yeah. was your fault. Like you weren't a yeah. scapegoat
1: as much as it was your own fault. So yeah, <laughs> but he gets the jo- He gets the position back. So it is what it yeah. is. <laughs> it is what it is. And well. Man, did we do it all here? Did we? I mean, we covered every POV character somewhat. We covered a lot of the story. I mean, again, there's more of this stuff like Ishri's in the mix, and there's gunpowder in the mix. And there's this thing of like magic fading and technology advancing, which is interesting. But it's secondary to what we've been discussing, which is character and all of the different theses on heroism.
0: (laughs) right well i mean we gave we did an hour almost 20 minute episode and spent the whole thing talking about character if we tried to get nitty-gritty with every single plot thing then it's probably a yeah. disservice to the thing that i think joe Abercrombie would say he cares the most yeah about, i mean he very deliberately so, kept the plot yeah. super
1: simple the setting super simple and yeah. it was it was deliberate almost kind of like the farce of all these heroic tales is the fact that it was told over three days on the dingy little hill, right? It's like almost another piece of this puzzle of this farce of war and heroism is like, oh, but it it was only three days and it was over a useless scrap of land, but it was where they needed to be because this is where the North and the Union were settling their differences. So it's like the fact that it's inconsequential is actually super important and brilliant, honestly, as far as storytelling goes. Totally agree, Charles. Well said. And I'm looking forward to more. I've already, like I said, cracked the cover on Red Country, and I can nice. I can see where it's going. I'm very excited to talk about it. Dylan and I have never exchanged thoughts on Red <laughs> Country either, so that will be yeah. exciting. And I know, Dylan, you, you, you've you've gone to say Red Country is your favorite of of the
0: standalones. Okay, but we ran a poll recently on Twitter. It did and- abysmal <laughs> So yeah, so I put it like, which is your favorite Joe Abercrombie standalone? And I did put an option of like haven't read any. So like forty percent of the people that voted hadn't read any of the uh, of the standalone books, which is fair. So take that out of the equation, mm-hmm. and then uh, of the remaining uh, the, the remaining votes, Red Country only got six percent. Of the, like six percent of or six percent of the total vote and then we had a tie and they're like over a hundred votes or something and we had a tie like an exact tie, like 27 percent each i think wow. for best served cold and the heroes mm. so red country and and i said in my, on my personal account i was like red country is my i before i knew this was gonna happen in the vote you know, I, was like, <laughs> before, I was like i think this is Gonna be a little controversial or whatever, but Red Country is my favorite, and people are like, "Yeah, that's a weird take," <laughs> but I uh, I love Red Country. I'll, I'll have to weigh like, in after you know after the next
1: episode. I'll weigh in, but for now, I, okay. I don't know, man. I, like the heroes impressed me quite a bit. um We didn't even, dude. We didn't even talk about casualties. I mean, we alluded to it we'll multiple talk about times it in the
0: point of view episode.
1: Or maybe just like, yeah, the point of view episode, you have a whole conversation just on casualties. But we recognize it and we did talk about it a little bit and incredible, incredible use of POVs. But you're right. We will have a whole POV discussion because there's so much to be said. Um, but for now, everybody, we've done it. We've discussed the heroes. I-, I love talking to these characters. So much fun. And I'm looking forward to Red Country. Our yeah. book discussion on that is coming out very soon. It's the next book discussion we're dropping, so very exciting stuff. Um, and then you know, it's onto the Age of Madness. I'm so excited.
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, let me first say I'm so happy we got to have this the heroes talk because I've been holding in my thoughts for so long, and I'm just <laughs> pumped to be able to chat with my buddy and lifelong friend and co-host right, right, and all right. stuff about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about a, an amazing book and such amazing military fantasy all this kind of stuff so that's awesome red country up next my favorite of the sandalones can't wait to have the first conversation on air ever like uh i mean that's a cool thing right is we we <laughs> save it till the episodes so they get to see us <laughs> experiencing that uh, so, Red Country, yes, so yes. pumped. And then Age of Madness, literally, those are my two favorite Abercrombie books. And I oh, have I can't a wait. feeling that the third book, The Wisdom of Crowds, if the trend continues, will be my favorite ever. So, and he, <laughs> and Abercrombie, he's going to... I have every comedy he's going to deliver on the end of that trilogy. It's just going to be so much fun, Charles. I know. It's going to be super
1: exciting when that comes out. and We're reading it right at release with everyone else in the world. It's going to be a lot of fun. But until then, guys, thank you so much for listening. And I think we're ready to get that outro music going.
0: Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right. This has been awesome. Yes, this has been a
1: fantastic time. Alright, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, if you're a Joe Abercrombie fan, if you think Red Country is the best of the standalones, (laughs) let us know over on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end or over on Instagram as well at the FTF Podcast. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support Mm. the show even further than social media and they just happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, what can they do?
0: toss five stars to our podcast. Just find that Friends Talking Fantasy page on the Apple Podcast app. Click the Friends Talking Fantasy page. Scroll down past all those episodes until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, the optimal number of stars to click in order to support the show would be five of them. If you have a little bit of extra time you want to go that next step of supporting the show, then writing a review is super helpful for a podcast like ours. But just listening is more than enough. Yes. Thank you so much for doing that. listening just listening guys thank you so
1: much we greatly appreciate it you guys are awesome and as always go forth and conquer friends.